Hello, Mac family. You are missed. We miss you so much, and I know that you miss each other as well, and I can't wait for the day when we get to be back together, hopefully soon. Hey, I wanted to give you two quick announcements before Pastor Luke uh, brings us the word. The first is this. Today was supposed to be the last Sabbath where we were doing online services and not holding in-person services. However, because of the continued shelter-in-place restrictions, we will continue having these um, online services and not in-person services until we can get back together, until it's, it's safe to be back together. The second announcement is this. You'll be getting a survey, a digital survey, sent to you probably email style, uh, might be in a newsletter, it'll probably be the beginning of next week sometime, that uh, is asking some questions of you so we can do our our job better here at the church, um, as well as reaching out to you if there are things that uh, your church can do for you. Um, Some of those are pointed questions for you, and I encourage you to um, be very open and honest so that we can help you if there are needs in your family. And we can't wait to be with you again, hopefully soon, and may you be blessed by Pastor Luke's message. Good morning, church. I'm glad that you're worshiping with us today. Whether you're worshiping from your living room, on your couch, worshiping from your man cave, maybe you're in the kitchen, who knows? But I'm just so glad that you're here to worship with us. Uh, We've uh, been praying for you. We hope that you're hanging in there as we try to navigate through such uncertain times. We don't know what's going to happen, but we do know that God is on His throne, and that's good news. Hey, if you're tuning in on Vimeo, that's fantastic. If you're tuning in on Facebook, that's also great. We're hoping that you're uh, encouraged and and up to the challenge to maybe participate in some questions that we're going to have through this service. Actually, uh, before we begin, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, I just want to pray for our church. God, this is uh, such an interesting time, and there are so many questions that we might be having about what it is that you're up to. And God, we're just asking that not only would you be with the the words today, uh, but that you would just really connect to our hearts. Help us to be okay in this in-between state where uh, we don't know what what the future might hold as we're trying to navigate through this time that, that the world has never seen before. But we do know that you're coming very soon, and so may that just be uh, on the tip of our tongue. May that be at the forefront of our minds as we just rest and keep ourselves centered on your soon coming. For we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, this last week, my wife and I, we, we went on a trip. Now, you might think, what? How, how could they go on a trip? We went on a trip to this place. It was fantastic. The sunlight, it hit us just right. It wasn't too hot to cause us to sweat. The, the seats were kind of this mixture of like the pool chairs at, at a pool as well as with the, the couch in your living room. It was like they produced one singular chair. It was fantastic. It was our balcony. That's where we took a trip to. I don't know if you've seen the memes running around where it's where you're planning your next vacation during quarantine. Uh, many There have been many blueprints of homes and saying, oh, I think I'm going to plan a trip to the kitchen or I think I'm going to plan a trip to, to whatever, the guest room or wherever it is just to kind of uh, keep us encouraged and, and uh, maybe less serious or less uh, rigid in this time of of quarantine. But I want to ask you a question. If you could go to any place in the world, where would it be and why?
A country that I had always wanted to travel to was the country of Laos in Southeast Asia. And so my senior year in college, there was an opportunity to go on a short-term mission trip. So of course I signed up. I went over, we did a health clinic. It was fantastic. The jet lag was kind of interesting as we tried to navigate through that, but the people there are fantastic. They are amazing. We were in this uh, tribal village and we got to not only teach English, but also just go through proper uh, health and hygiene practices. It was truly a life transforming experience. But as we were traveling back, we had a very odd uh, itinerary. See, we had to make several stops in another country, but this country wasn't in the Southern Hemisphere, it was in the Northern Hemisphere. We had only packed clothes for uh, the Southern Hemisphere, which is having summer during March. And so now it's cold and we weren't prepared. And as we get there, we quickly get off the airplane. We have to grab our luggage because we're trying to make our next flight and it looks like we're gonna miss it. But as we come to the counter and are navigating the conversation with the, with the lady, she's trying to understand what we're saying and we're trying to understand what she's saying. And finally, one of my friends, Alfie, looks at his itinerary and he realizes that our flight doesn't leave until the next evening. We had had our days mixed up. So now as we have to navigate a plan of sleeping in an airport, we quickly realize there is a rest area on the horizon and it's behind this beautiful paneled glass. There are these reclining chairs. There's this buffet of gorgeous fruit, it looks like. And so we make a mad dash to this rest area. And as we're getting closer, we're expecting the doors to open. But we get right in front, about to just run right into the doors, and we quickly realize the doors aren't opening. In fact, right behind the doors, there's a sign that says this rest area is closed until the next morning. Now, not only are we stuck in an airport in a distant land, but the rest area, the place that's supposed to give us comfort and allow us to rest, is closed. It's cold. I don't have any snacks, I snack a lot, and so I'd already eaten all of my snacks. And as we tried to get some shut-eye, I quickly just gave up on trying to get any types or any type of sleep. I scavenged around for, for some food, and all I could find was some ketchup packets. And I probably had maybe 20 ketchup packets. My buddy Alfie had come with his 20 ketchup packets, but he had some pepper and some disposable silverware. And I quickly opened mine and I, I squeezed the ketchup into my mouth, being someone who strongly dislikes ketchup. And I cringe and I can even have the hair on the back of my neck stand up just thinking about it. But Alfie's over there putting pepper on his ketchup as he pours ketchup onto a spoon and, and then he puts the pepper and then he takes a bite and he just grins because it's some sustenance to help us maybe get through. But this was a very difficult travel experience. In fact, it was what I would consider suffering. It was so hard to not be able to get any sleep, to be cold, to have to endure until the flight the next evening. It was just tough. And being in a distant land made us slightly anxious, slightly on edge because something could go wrong. We're not home. And so it was difficult. In times like now where there's so much uncertainty and there's suffering that's going on all around us, I can only imagine how many of you may feel. Maybe you're frustrated because you've had some plans canceled. 
Maybe they were a wedding. Maybe they were a birthday party. Maybe they were an anniversary trip to a, a country that you had always wanted to visit. Now is truly a difficult time. But there's a book in the Bible that I think we can find some encouragement and hope in, and it's found in this small little book called Lamentations. You see, the backdrop of this book is the prophet Jeremiah, who has climbed up to this hill, and he's overlooking the city of Jerusalem, this glorious city that he has prophesied over countless times, and this city has now been destroyed by the Babylonians. See, the Babylonians had been conquering kingdom after kingdom, and they followed this scorched earth policy, where when they come in and they conquer your kingdom, they burn all of the crops and they ruin all of the wells. And so now Jeremiah is looking at his city that is just in shambles. And as he looks at this city, he starts to pin what we find in our Bible, which is rather a somber book, the book of Lamentations. It's five chapters of Jeremiah just giving us his thoughts as he tries to process what life is now going to be like. Jeremiah is not going to be able to go to the synagogue and hear the Torah read every Sabbath. He's not going to be able to have lunch with friends. He's not going to be able to hear children laugh through the streets. It's going to forever be different. And so as he starts to pin his thoughts, he introduces us to this literary genre called lament. See, lament is something that is kind of awkward for us as American Christians because we live in a time where our leaders are constantly trying to just always offer hope. We tend to not want to lament. In fact, it's a kind of a weird foreign term when in reality lament means a strong, raw expression of sorrow or grief for one's circumstances. It's a crying out to God, asking for God to act. And so Jeremiah shows us that when we're in a very trying time, there is something that we can do, and it is lament. Jeremiah begins his lament in Lamentations chapter 1 in this way. He says, How lonely sits the city that was full of people. She has become like a widow who was once great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a forced laborer. She weeps bitterly in the night and her tears are on her cheeks. She has none to comfort her among all her lovers. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile under affliction and under harsh servitude. She dwells among the nations, but she has found no rest. All her pursuers have overtaken her. In the midst of distress, the roads of Zion are in mourning because no one comes to the appointed feasts. All her gates are desolate. Her priests are groaning. Her virgins are afflicted and she herself is bitter. Jeremiah, as he's contemplating and being filled with these emotions, seeing the destruction of his beloved city, he pins this depressing book. And he goes on and on for five chapters, just pouring out his emotions, lamenting what has taken place. See, Jeremiah, he could have over-spiritualized the suffering away of him and his countrymen. He knows that 
Israel has been judged due to their unfaithfulness to God's covenant. The curses and the judgment was pronounced in Deuteronomy 28. And so he could think this through and come to the conclusion that we deserve this punishment. We're not perfect before God. We struggle, we sin. And so he knows that that's a a fail-safe he can go to. And yet here he is as he pins this letter, processing what is taking place. He doesn't hide his emotions. During times like these, we tend to gravitate towards stories of of hope where we hear leaders that tell us that it's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. We're going to endure. But what about those of us who have to sit in this moment for some time? What happens when our future is uncertain? And no matter what is said to us, it doesn't necessarily answer the question we have in our hearts, which is, are we going to be able to return to the plans that we had made? Who knows? But Jeremiah here is modeling something that is profoundly missed in the church today. See, we gravitate towards praises. We gravitate towards psalms that are filled with praise. We call our music praise music, not lament music. We we don't really like to express the deep emotions unless they're positive, unless they're ones of joy and happiness. And yet here Jeremiah is modeling that it is more than okay to embrace these emotions. In fact, Jeremiah here is teaching us two profound things that I think we can use in our spiritual journeys as we navigate such a difficult, intense time. He shows us, one, that it is okay to embrace the emotions we are feeling, whether that's frustrations because our uh, child is struggling to finish out the school year and we're now a co-teacher, whether that's uh, anxiety because we're a small business owner and our business doesn't seem like it's going to be able to survive and we may have filed for unemployment, whether that's anxiety about our family members, our friends and their health or the tornadoes that just went through Chattanooga and and not being able to travel to go and see them because of this quarantine. It's okay to embrace these emotions. In fact, Jeremiah welcomes them. He meets them head on throughout the book of Lamentations. And so that's one thing that he models. But the second thing he models is how we can process these emotions. See, when we suppress our emotions, they will often act out in other ways, whether that's through little snide remarks to our loved ones or uh, slight temper tantrums to our children, or uh, maybe it's online arguments with people of a different political ideology. If we suppress our emotions, they will often rear their head in the most uh, untimely of times. And so Jeremiah shows us that we can take our emotions that we have embraced and we can turn them into laments. So how do we do this? Well, we can see that Jeremiah has climbed up to this hill and he's overlooking the city. That's what tradition tells us. And he's pinning out his emotions. He's writing down his lament. And so that's something that we can definitely do. But as we process them, he takes us through this journey where he shifts from the narrator to a personified Jerusalem, telling the story of a city that once was magnificent, that once was on top of the world, that once was filled with laughter and joy, but has now become a desolate city. He's 
showing us that it is okay to kind of navigate the mystery of our emotions. We don't really like to sit in our, our feels. I know as a guy growing up, I, I never wanted, whenever I would go to a movie theater, if I was on a date and we were watching some movie that they picked because obviously you're gonna let them pick and it's a rom-com and who knows, it's corny, it's got dad jokes and the super uh, cliche lines and things like that. But there's always a scene in there that is set up to kind of get your eyes to water. And I remember thinking often that there's no way I'm going to cry because that would be a sign of weakness. That's a weak emotion is feeling sorrow or being touched in, in some capacity. When in reality, God created us in ways to feel emotions. We're created in His image. And so we shouldn't be afraid to embrace whatever it is that we're feeling. That's what Jeremiah has modeled for us. But he's also showing us that as we lament, it gives us an avenue and through which we can channel those emotions into something. See, as Jeremiah goes on through the book of Lamentations, he transitions from narrator to a personified Jerusalem as it's been destroyed. But then he seeks to close the book through a prayer. Uh, the genre of lament is very prevalent in the Bible. Jesus used a psalm of lament in one of the last moments of his life as he hung on the cross and cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He quotes from Psalm 22, which is a psalm of lament. David, the king who had to go into hiding, was very aware of uh, lamenting. He knew the power that lament had because what it does is it allows us with just unrestrained emotion to express what we're truly feeling to God. I think of a story that I've told the kids in uh, at Carmen in chapel where there's a king, and the king is a good king, and he reigns over his kingdom, but now a terrible storm comes upon his kingdom, and it wipes out many of the resources of the individuals, the citizens that live in his kingdom. And so now he's processing every need that his kingdom has. And so he sits on his throne, and citizen after citizen lines up to present their request to the king. And how in the middle of the night, an individual gets up, their fire has gone out, they have no more firewood, and it's cold, but they're afraid to go and embrace the king, to go and ask the king, king, can you give us more firewood? Because it's in the middle of the night. And yet, a child gets up because they're thirsty, and goes and walks into the king's chamber, and wakes the king up to ask for a glass of water. That is power. That's access. That's boldness to recognize that what your need is isn't seen as little in the eyes of the person you're asking. And Jesus, as he hung on that cross and, and models lamenting for us, it also shows us that there's nothing too small that we can't bring to God. We can be the child that wakes up the king to ask for a glass of water and that king will not get angry with us because that king is the king who embraced us by becoming a human and dying in our stead. And so Jeremiah, as he closes the book of Lamentations, he tells us, he shows us that we can turn our emotion into a prayer of lament. We can be raw as we ask God to step into our situation to provide deliverance. 
Sometimes it's frustrating because it seems like he's not acting the way that we want him to. We have future plans and we want him to intervene and and allow us to pursue uh, other avenues that might be better uh, in our way of thinking for our future. Maybe we're trying to take care of our family. Maybe we're trying to plan where we're going to go to school. Or or maybe we think if, if we can budget X amount of dollars, it'll allow us to weather the storm that we can kind of see on the horizon. But Jeremiah is showing us that even though we don't necessarily know how God is going to act in the future, and even though we might be filled with, with strong emotions, we shouldn't be afraid to embrace them, but we should also not let them linger without taking them to God in prayer. See, he says in Lamentations 5, Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our reproach. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our houses to aliens. We have become orphans without a father. Our mothers are like widows. We have to pay for our drinking water. Our wood comes to us at a price. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are worn out. There is no rest for us. We have submitted to Egypt and Assyria to get enough bread. Our fathers sinned and are no more. It is we who have borne their iniquities. Slaves rule over us, and there is no one to deliver us from their hand. And as Jeremiah goes on in this prayer, he finally comes to what we would tend to think is going to be a good news ending. We're often uh, conditioned by the movies of overcoming hardships by this magnificent ending of the athlete winning the championship or the woman getting the guy or the guy getting the girl or the person getting the job. And and so we think that's what's going to happen when we come to the conclusion of Lamentations. There's got to be some good promise of restoration and deliverance that's coming down the line. But Jeremiah does something amazing here and models an okayness without an answer. You see, Lamentations closes with uh, verse 19 through 22. You, O Lord, rule forever. Your throne is from generation to generation. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to you, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days of old unless you have utterly rejected us and are exceedingly angry with us. Jeremiah ends on a minor key. And as musicians, we might know that ending a song on a minor key is a very big telling point that the song isn't quite a finished product, that there's still some more to come. We're just not sure how to best tie off the beautiful music that we've created. And yet here, Jeremiah ends this book on a minor key. Come on, Jeremiah. We need good news. We need a promise to cling to. You've just processed all this emotion. You're going through this heartache as your your future is laid desolate. Everything that you've worked for is now gone. And yet you're not going to give us a a promise. You're a prophet. You know what God is capable of. You've studied how God has delivered the people of Israel out of slavery from Egypt and performed miracles in uh, passing over the houses that are covered by the blood of the Lamb and letting the nation of Israel walk through dry ground through the, the Red Sea. How God carried them through 
the wilderness and, and allowed them to become a nation that would eventually be able to build a kingdom, the kingdom of Jerusalem. Jeremiah, you know this, and yet here you're not going to give us something? You're going to end on a minor key? Come on, Jeremiah. No wonder people called Jeremiah the weeping prophet. It doesn't seem like he has any good news here. And yet what he has done is he has done something profound that we as 21st century Christians tend to miss. See, Jeremiah isn't finishing the story. He knows that the story is going to continue, and so he doesn't seek to end it. And we as 21st century Christians, we have this privilege of being able to look back 2,000 years to see Jesus on the cross. And so we know how the story ends. We know that Jesus is the answer to Jeremiah's question. Unless you have utterly rejected us and are exceedingly angry with us, is how Jeremiah ends his lament. And yet we can look back and and see Jesus and know that, no, he has not rejected us. No, he is not exceedingly angry with us. In fact, God himself has become man to become one acquainted with grief and sorrow on our behalf. Jesus is the answer to the final question. But Jeremiah doesn't live at the time of Jesus, nor does he live in the time that we live in today. And so what does that mean for us? You see, we can lament in a way that Jeremiah couldn't. We can embrace whatever emotions we're feeling. We can channel them and process them into this call out to God for deliverance as we go through sorrow and grief, navigating this time that is very uncertain and has a lot of us wondering what's going to come next. Is this truly the end? But as we look back and see our Savior, we see that He is the one that is the answer to the lament, that he is the one who enters into our situation and in some way provides a remedy and restoration. But lamenting doesn't have the the praise at the end because deliverance hasn't happened yet. And so as we lament, yeah, we might not know how God is going to step in, but we could be Uh, expectant. We should expect him to because we have the privilege of lamenting in the name of Jesus. We can cling to the character of what God has done through Jesus and be expectant that he's going to do something amazing. So what can we do while we wait? Well, as we pray through our emotions, as we take whatever it is that we're feeling and turn it into a lament, we can write down maybe what it is that we're expecting God to do in response to us being raw with Him. We can expect Him to maybe step in and provide an alternative job as we have to navigate a job search. We can expect Him to provide for our uh, immediate needs through maybe a neighbor or our church. We can expect Him to be present and active in some capacity because we have taken our lament to him. I think of a quote from Edward McKinney Bounds, who says, faith that creates powerful praying is faith that is centered on a powerful person. We're able to take our raw emotion and our lament to God, and we can expect in the name of Jesus that something will happen. We don't know what it will look like, but we can expect something to happen based off the character of God.
sometimes it's difficult to sit in the present when we have to endure a hardship. Sometimes when God hasn't made it better, it's hard for us to see how he's going to step in and somehow make uh, our situation turn out for the good. I think of my roommate in high school. His name was Nicholas Oliver Lucky Schultz, and yet we called him Lucky. He's probably the best hockey player I've ever had the privilege to play with. He was a uh, a joy to everyone that he was just around. He was an amazing, amazing athlete. He was actually almost a professional surfer, but he turned that down because he just wanted to surf for fun. He was an amazing hockey player. Could have, who knows, pursued it as much as he wanted to, and yet he uh, just didn't really want to to get paid for a, something that he loved to do as a hobby. And so he didn't pursue hockey um, after high school. And I remember keeping in touch with him. We'd call and, and talk via text while I was at Southern. And my senior year in college, I had the privilege of introducing him to my now wife, Carissa. We were out there visiting her family and he lived in Malibu, California. And so we went up and got to hang out with him for an afternoon. Lucky passed away my senior year, uh, the week before I went to Laos in a car accident. And I remember getting a text message from a teammate saying, tell me it's not so, tell me it's not true. Immediately, I was just heartbroken. This was somebody I had lived with for an entire year, somebody that I had gone to high school with. We had been on road trips together, bus trips of 14 hours or more, flights. We had shed blood together uh, playing hockey and being on the same line. I was his setup man. He was my goal scorer. We were best of friends, and now he's gone. It was tough. And all I could think about was, a conversation that I had had before I left uh, to go back down to where Carissa's family lived in Southern California. It was a conversation about Jesus. I had talked to him about how Jesus had radically changed my life, how Jesus could radically change his too, how Jesus was the answer to our problems, how Jesus was the answer to, to our suffering, how Jesus took suffering on our behalf, how Jesus was the greatest friend that we could ever have, how he would always have our back, how Jesus was the, the one who provides joy to our hearts in every situation. I sat down with him as we tried to skateboard, and I talked to him about Jesus. It was the last conversation I had with him before I said goodbye. And I can't help but wonder if he ever opened the Bible that I gave him and the Bible studies that I left with him I'll never know until that morning comes when we rise. I don't know what that will look like. I don't know if he responded and let Jesus be his savior. I don't, I don't know. My lament hasn't finished. The story's not over. But I do know that the character of the God that I call my best friend is one of enduring compassion and love. And so I know that he did everything in his power, the infinite almighty power that he has at his disposal to try to just show Lucky how much he was loved. God isn't a God that 
forces his love upon us. He doesn't try to coerce us through these childish games of if you do this, then I will love you. No, he just shows us his love. That's who God is. That's why our lament can be taken to him and we can be expectant. And so I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how difficult it is for you. I know some stories. I know some of your situations. But this is a tough time. And Jeremiah tells us that we can take our emotions, that we can meet them head on, that that's okay. In fact, that's what he urges us to do by modeling him meeting the emotions that he was filled with. And then he shows us that we should turn it into a lament and take it to God. That's what we can do in the name of Jesus. So let us pray. Father, we live in a difficult time. And Lord, it's, it's interesting because we know that we're right on the precipice of your second coming. Lord, we, we await eagerly to be in your kingdom. We're tired of having to deal with, with this thing that we call life in a sinful world. But God, we know that you are on your throne. We know that you have a plan in place. We know that you are a good God. You have told us that we can cast our cares upon you for you care for us. And Jeremiah has just shown us that we can embrace our emotions, that it is okay to not be okay in this time. It's okay to not pick up a new hobby or master a, an old one. It's okay to, to be lethargic and, and just kind of want to binge watch our favorite show, maybe to kind of escape. It's okay to not be okay, God, as long as we don't try to suppress these emotions, as long as we can take Jeremiah's advice and turn our emotions into a lament, asking you, God, to step into our situations and provide. And so, God, we expect you to do something miraculous, not only through the Marietta Seventh Adventist Church, but through your church worldwide in a time like this. But, God, our prayer can be really simple. Just give us Jesus. Give us Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.